0: okay let's get started tonight uh session number 10 that means we've got three more sessions after tonight and uh we are traveling from genesis to revelation at warp factor eight uh 13 weeks going through the whole bible how's that so let's pray father we thank you for your word i thank you lord that you're revealing to us a single story about a single truth, that you love the world so much that you made a plan to redeem us. So tonight, Lord, we open up this uh, new section, and I pray that you give us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mind and a heart that would comprehend and believe you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus' ministry begins. Religion has always been about what? What? What am I supposed to do? What should I stop doing? What clothes should I wear? What words can't I say anymore? What will people think of me? But chapter 23 of the story, the people of Israel had compiled a massive list of whats in an attempt to please God and show that they were worthy of his love and acceptance. Some religious leaders of that day had been experts in telling everyone else what they were supposed to do. Into this climate, God breaks in with an upper story and surprises everyone. Salvation is not based on a list of what we do to make God happy about our behavior or what we won't do because it's against the rules. Of course, God cares about our behavior and wants his children to grow in holiness, but this is not his first concern. Before we begin thinking about being good people, we need to meet the one who can make us good people. The solution to the problem in the time of Christ and today is the same. It's not about the what, it's about the who. It was all about Jesus then, it's all about Jesus now. Before we begin thinking about what, we need to meet the who. His name is Jesus. God sent the prophet John to proclaim the coming of the who, the Messiah of God, the Christ. The Old Testament prophet, the last one, was Malachi. And he told us that the next prophet... And we know, looking back, there would be a 400-year gap between Malachi and Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist. 400 years of silence. The last Old Testament prophet was Malachi. He told us that the next prophet would reveal the who that God was going to send to save the world. Can you imagine the expectation? You're going to finally know the who and not just the what? Malachi 4, 5, see, I will send the prophet Elijah before, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. You can see by the above scripture that the people in the time of Jesus were looking for the coming of Elijah to precede the coming of Messiah. If you were an Old Testament guy, you read the prophecies, you believed the Word of God, you believed the prophet Malachi, what are you going to be waiting for? Elijah. Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, Elijah's coming back. And they knew Elijah didn't die, right? So he was was, uh, raptured up into heaven, so they're thinking, well, he'll come back down and announce the who that's what they thought and by the way this final prophet before the coming of the messiah would not fit the mold or the expectation of the people who had spent their lives focused on what so if all you've done is think about what and then here comes a who to announce a who and that john the baptist came and what is he doing he dresses funny He's got locust breath, okay? He lives in the wilderness, and for most people, he's a crazy guy, right? Don't think that they're going to look at John the Baptist and think, wow. They look at John the Baptist and they're wondering, what's the matter with this guy, right? And it's, it's God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak shame things of the world to shame the strong. So he picks John the Baptist. <clears throat> Let's go to John 1. Now this was John the Baptist's testimony. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Now they know he's strange. He eats locusts and wild honey. And he's dressed in camel's hair. And I can assure you that was not the dress code of that day. And So they're thinking he's strange. So they send out the religious people to find out, who are you? He did not fail to confess, but confess freely. I am not the Christ. What's that tell you when you read that? That some people thought maybe he was. So he confessed freely. Nope, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. So they ask him question number two. Then who are you? Are you Elijah? Do you think they don't know what Malachi says? They know what Malachi says, so you're not the Christ, you're not the Messiah, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. So here comes question number three, are you the prophet? And he answered, nope. Finally, they said, who are you? They're looking for a who, right? All their whole life they've been doing what, now they're looking for a who? Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah. Now he's going to quote Isaiah the prophet and say, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the who? For the Lord. Get ready. He's coming. Thinking that's what that means. Get ready. I'm, I'm the one. That, that Isaiah prophesied is going to come and announce the who. I'm going to announce, make straight the path. He's coming. He's here. John said, Not to Christ. The Levites and the priests asked the question Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Christ? Instead, he quotes a 700 year old Isaiah prophecy I'm the voice. And then the Pharisees join in and they ask this. Go to verse 24. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ and you're not Elijah and you're not the prophet? Now now before I get into it in a few minutes, I want you to notice the three categories. They're they're curious about the three categories. You're not the Messiah, You're not Elijah, which is Malachi said he's going to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And you're not the prophet. So, who's the prophet? Most of you are aware of the you know who the Christ is they were looking for. Elijah's coming back because Malachi says he's coming back. Who's the prophet? Moses had made a prophecy, and they all knew the prophecy of Moses, that God was going to raise up from your own people, from the Jewish people, a prophet like me. You must listen to him. So, there's the three categories. They're all looking. They're looking for the who, right? Who are you? He's not any of them. So they said this. Why then do you baptize if you're not those guys? Why are you baptizing? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. And by the way, do you think baptism was a prominent event in the Old Testament? No. It's a strange event. that They don't baptize in the Old Testament. So this is new. So why are you baptizing? You're not the Christ. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet Moses talked about. I baptize with water, but among you, that's kind of present tense, right? Stands one, you do not know. He is the one. Here comes the who. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So you're not the Christ. The word means Messiah in in the Hebrew, the promised one of God. So let me make simple. When they say Christ, you know what they're really thinking? King. They're they're thinking King. Not not just the son of God, the power of God. They're thinking King that's coming um, in the lineage of David. Uh, He says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoe. So you can check off the Christ. I'm not him. What about the prophet? Deuteronomy 18. This is why they ask him, are you the prophet? So let's go backwards to the time of Moses. The Lord, Moses said, the Lord, your God will raise up for you, Israel, a prophet like me, Moses, from among your own brothers. He'll be Jewish. You must listen to him. His word will redeem you. His message will redeem you. You must listen to his message. John says, nope, I'm not him either. Then here comes Elijah. He didn't die. And the Malachi text said Elijah would precede the coming of the Messiah. So let's go to Matthew 11. Jesus says this. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women... There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's quite a compliment. You you want that on your resume? When the Son of God says of all men born of women, none's greater than him. He's at the top of the list. Yet yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. What What do you think that means? From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. There is a spiritual opposition trying to hold back. I've called it for years, the spirit war. Forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. John the Baptist is coming and the the spirit of Antichrist is going to try to hold back the Christ, right? Right? For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he, John, is the Elijah who was to come. I think all the people are going to go, he's he's Elijah? John. He, if you're willing to accept it, what's Jesus saying? If you're willing to accept it, he, John, is the Elijah who was to come. So, let's think about that for a moment. Let's go to Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. And just then, there appeared before them, and this kind of just blows my mind, Jesus is going to take on his heavenly form, bright white light. And who's with him? Appeared before Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Who are the three people that John said he wasn't? They're all in the scene. One like Moses as a prophet like me is coming. So it's Moses' prophecy, Elijah and the Messiah. John says, I'm none of them. And all three of them happen to appear on this mountain. The, the fulfillment of all three of those prophecies is on the mountain. And um, John came, and, and I probably should say this. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Not the person of Elijah, in the spirit of Elijah. Do you, what's the difference? Because Elijah is still coming. Okay, Elijah is still coming. He's still on the schedule. So John came in the spirit of Elijah. And we'll get into that maybe in a moment. So um, when Elijah appears with Moses, with Jesus, um, they appear on the mountain it's interesting that all three of the persons that the Pharisees asked John about, that they're looking for, and they're asking, are you him? Are you Messiah? He's there on, later on that scene. Are you the prophet of Moses? Well, Moses is there. Are you Elijah? Well, Elijah's there. All three of the characters that the Pharisees asked John about are in the scene of the transfiguration of Christ. And what did God speak to the scene? What did he say? Go to verse 5. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. What, is that? what does that mean? What, uh, so far, what would you put all that together? Everybody looking for the who. And they're asking, John, are you the who? And in this scene, all three of the who choices appear, okay? All three of them are who number one, who number two, and who number three. And what's God say? Listen to one. Don't, don't, don't worry about Moses and don't worry about Elijah. Listen to my son. Listen to him. Only listen to him. And by the way, isn't it interesting that he's the, that, that in itself was the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy? I read to you in Deuteronomy 18 that God is going to raise up one from like us, like me, from our own people. You must listen to him. And here comes the transfiguration. What does God say? You must listen to Him. 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 After Moses and Elijah went back up into heaven, Jesus returns to his earthly form. He stops glowing. They're going to come off of the mountain. Listen to what happens. Verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen. Now, does anybody think that'd be easy? You know, I think sometimes we read the Bible and we say, yeah, okay, okay. Do you think you could have kept from telling somebody? I think I did. I don't think I could do it. I don't think. I'm, boy, I'm glad he didn't tell me to do that. Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples ask him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Do you see where it's going? See, they knew the prophecy. Why do the teachers of the law say that before, because they know Malachi, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, Elijah's going to come. And Jesus replied. So so here's the question. Is John the Baptist Elijah or not? Is he? Malachi says he's got to come before you get here and here you are. Right? Malachi says that before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and there's your key. Did you get it? And there's your key. We have not yet seen the great and dreadful day of the Lord, but it's coming. So this is a interim fulfillment of the end time prophecy. That's why I told you that John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah, but Elijah is going to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Is that the two witnesses during the tribulation? Will that be Elijah? Or will it be another event? But he will come. Listen, I assure you, he will come before the end. And the end is not Jesus coming to save you in the the three years that he came as a suffering servant. It'll be when he comes in the great and dreadful day of the Lord to bring wrath and judgment upon the earth. That's when Elijah will precede him, right? So here we go. The disciples ask him, then why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. That's, a, that's in our future. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, right? And they did not recognize him but have done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. What? He has come. He has come in the spirit of Elijah. John's entire purpose in life was to reveal the coming of the Messiah, to make straight the path. To prepare the way for the Lord, His first coming. He, that, so John, in the spirit of Elijah, first coming, Elijah, in, his, in himself will come to precede the second coming. right? So how did John know Jesus was the Christ? This is a curious text. They're cousins. They grew up together. More than likely, they grew up together. Six months difference in their age. So the question is, how? when did John know that your cousin's the Messiah? You ever think about that? Because I do. So let's go to John 1.29. The, by the way, and this is, um, they're both about 30 years old when, when this happens, okay? 30 years old. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So for him to say that, he must know you're the Messiah, right? Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me. What does that mean? Jesus came six months after John. This is what, he's six months, his birthday is six months after Jesus's. This is the man who comes after me, has surpassed me because he was before me. There's one of those Bible riddles. Okay? He came after me, but he's surpassing me because he's actually before me. I myself did not know him. Now, that's the curious part. So, there's a point. How much before there? There's a point. He did not know Jesus was Messiah. But the reason I came baptizing with water is that he might be revealed to Israel. So he's, he's obeying God. Not even, not even fully sure who the Messiah is yet. Now I didn't know him. That's what he says. I didn't know him. Not yet, anyway, but I knew my purpose was to do a series of events that would allow God to reveal him. And what would be the series of events that would reveal the Messiah? This is great. What, what is it? He would baptize him. And in the baptism, the revelation of the Messiah would occur. And by the way, there's no doubt that that's the event. The Holy Spirit told John, John what to look for. He told him that when you see this, you'll know he's he's the who. You'll know the who because you'll see this. So here's the this. Verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. I, John, saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, Jesus. I would not have known him. He still does. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water, the Holy Spirit. I would not have known Jesus, my cousin. To be the Messiah, except the Holy Spirit, who sent me to baptize with water, told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So with that in mind, with that in mind, when did John the Baptist know Jesus was Messiah? When, he, when he's obedient baptizing people, in the obedience of his baptizing, he's doing it under instruction of the Holy Spirit, and as he's doing it, the event occurs that verifies the Messiahship of his cousin. When you see the Spirit come out of heaven like a dove, you will know the who, and that's what happened. The next day, John was there again with his two disciples when he saw Jesus passing by and he says, look, the Lamb of God. Even after Jesus's three years of miracles and ministry, many refused to believe he was the Messiah and that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of Elijah's prophecy. And why? They were still looking for Elijah. And you know what? That's a reasonable thing to say. They were still looking for Elijah. Elijah. If you don't think Jesus is the Messiah, you're still going to be looking for Elijah, right? And if John the Baptist isn't him, you're still waiting for him, right? So where does that pop up at? Let's go to Matthew 27. On the cross. Did you ever notice this? From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Right? They know the Malachi prophecy. He's calling Elijah. John the Baptist, a Jew, comes to reveal Jesus, a Jew, to the Jewish people as Messiah. Let's get that clear. That's his primary role. Is he out trying to reveal him to Gentiles? No? Do Gentiles, some get it? Yes, yes, they do. But is that his? He comes to the Jewish people. Jesus begins to reveal himself as the Messiah, but many of the Jews have trouble accepting him. In the midst of that scene, Jesus does something amazing. He, Jesus, goes to Samaria and Samaritans are considered to be half-breed Gentiles. And that's where Jesus is going. So he's trying, John's trying to reveal Messiah to the Jews. Jesus is trying to reveal himself to the Jews. And they're struggling with his Messiahship. They're, They're not accepting him. He doesn't fit their profile. They're looking for King David. He doesn't fit. It's bad enough that Jesus goes to this town in Samaria, but now he will actually talk to a Samaritan woman, which Jews simply did not do. Here we go with the story. By the way, all of us Gentiles in the room ought to like this story because you can put yourself in this story. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew who the who was in front of you, you would ask me for water. She doesn't know who the who is there, does she? When Assyria came and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, 721 B.C. They carried off many of the Israelites into exile. Those exiles intermarried with the Assyrians, and they produced children that the Jews considered half-breeds. And they took those people and put them in Samaria, and the Jews hated them. They had violated the bloodline. Uh, They're called Samaritans. That's who Jesus is talking to in this scene. So what is Jesus going to do with this half-breed Samaritan woman? I give you a hint. What he did and said to her is the same thing he wants to do and say to us today. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. I bet you at that point her head was dizzy. I can tell you a prophet and she figured you can only worship in one of two places. In Samaria, because the Jews won't let the Samaritans come to the temple, or in Jerusalem at the Holy Temple. He says, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. That means right now in that scene. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And. That his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know Messiah called Christ is coming. She knew. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now, a lot of people read this and you really don't get the significance of this. This Samaritan woman is knowing his Messiahship. Ahead of many of the Jewish people. He's revealing himself to the Samaritan when a lot of the Jews have rejected him. John the Baptist came to reveal the who? Jesus. Jesus came to reveal himself as Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. I want you to look at what happened in the Samaritan village after Jesus reveals himself to this half-breed Samaritan woman. Look at what happens next. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. What was her testimony? Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. He told me my past in exact detail. So many believed because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words... Many more became believers. And they said to the woman, I love this verse, I do. We no longer believe just because of what you say. You you know why this is so powerful? Because this is where everybody sometimes has to get in your own life. I don't believe because of what he did in your life, I believe because of what he's now doing in my life. Listen what he says We no longer believe just because of what you said, lady. Now we, now we have heard for ourselves, and we know, now it's personal, we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. Peter got it. Matthew 16, Simon Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Why do we make that confession of faith in the baptistry? Why do we do that? Why do we say those words when we baptize somebody? Because that's what you say when you get it. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So what am I going to confess with my mouth? I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter got it. Martha got it. Martha said in, in John 11, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who was to come into the world. You see what they say when they get it? But not everyone gets it. Luke 22, at the trial of Jesus, what did they say? If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. And Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. So not everybody is going to get it. In Luke 23, the people stood watching, and they're at the cross. And the rulers even sneered at him, and they said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. So, what's the summary of that chapter? The summary is he came to reveal his identity. Some people believed him, some people did not. Some will, some won't. You know what? 2,000 years, it hasn't changed. Some will, some won't. Chapter 24 He is no ordinary man. That's the understatement of all human history. Jesus was no ordinary man. Jesus was referred to by several names in the New Testament, but he was commonly referred to as rabbi or teacher. And we're going to focus on that. Why? You know, he referred to himself as the son of man. But many of the other descriptions apart from the son of man, and by the way, that whole son of man thing, it made the, the Pharisees go crazy. You know why it made the Pharisees go crazy? Because you know where the Son of Man appears in the Old Testament? In Daniel's revelation of God. So if Jesus is, if, you, if the Jewish people believed Daniel to be a prophet, then the Son of Man mentioned in Daniel's prophecy is God. So here's a man saying, here's Jesus, a man standing there saying, I am the son of man. You know what he's really saying in code? I am God. That's why they couldn't take it. They couldn't take it. We got to get rid of him. It's blasphemy, right? In fact, that was the cross. Blasphemy, blasphemy, blasphemy. You, you, you claim to be God. You, a mere man claim to be God. Yeah. Yeah, I do. He's the son of man. So let's focus on the word rabbi, or let's say teacher. There was something about him and his teaching that was unlike any of the other teachers of that day. What was it? It's clearly described in verse 28, Matthew 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as the teachers of the law. So here's the thing, it's like the difference between somebody teaching in a, a second place position, telling you what they heard about, or somebody who's teaching you in a first place position because he, he's the one that did it, right? He, he's got way more authority because he was there, and he saw it, and he knows it personally rather than a teacher who heard about it two or three lines uh, people down the line. So he has this authority. Jesus was sent by God to reveal the upper story plan of God and to get us back, to fix the sin problem that caused our separation and get us back into fellowship with Creator. To do this, he would have to die. But before he would lay down his life on the cross, he would teach us the way of salvation. Now, this is an important point tonight. He came to die... And he came to teach. His words have power. Listen to him. What's Moses' prophecy? You must listen to him. His words. What's God say to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration? Listen to him. His words. So he's not going to just come, be silent, and go to the cross. He's going to teach. He's going to teach us the way of salvation. He's going to teach us with his words a way to God, thus the title, teacher. So let's look at Matthew 19. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good things must I do to have eternal life? The people started to see him in his proper role. He came to teach us the way. Matthew 22, teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brothers must marry the widow, to have children for him teacher he's referred to Matthew 22 again teacher which is the greatest commandment in the law teacher 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 even his disciples referred to him as teacher even when they were in a panic they called him teacher Jesus was in the stern of the boat sleeping on a cushion the disciples woke up and said to him teacher don't you care if we drown isn't that an interesting term to use while you're drowning? I don't know, I'd call him teacher when I was drowning. I think it's some crazy word to say. There were teachers in the Jewish culture on that day, and Jesus was the true teacher. There were a lot of rabbis, right? Rabbis have followers. They have students. Jesus had followers. He had students. He was a teacher. But he was the true teacher. And he has something to say about the prideful, arrogant Other teachers. The problem with many of the Jewish Pharisees, teachers of the law, is they weren't living the way or teaching the way. They were just, they just had rules. They just had religion. And let let me say this before I read it. If you study the scripture, the most angry you find Jesus in the Bible is with whom? Religious folks. The most angry you find him anywhere in the Scripture is with people who say they're religious and they live a different life. They don't live it. So here we go, Matthew 23. Everything they do, he's talking about these religious guys. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. Why? So that they look religious. They love the place of honor and banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and have men call them, Rabbi coming, Rabbi coming. Ooh, in equal. He's a rabbi. They they like that. They like that, that earthly respect. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe! To you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Now, he—that's he, a rebuke. That's a rebuke. The teacher is the Christ. There's a lot of people who have a lot to say about a lot of stuff. Only one is the true teacher. And so when he says, don't call anyone father, don't call anyone teacher, his whole point is, go to the single source of truth. Quit, quit, I'll get in trouble for this one. That's okay, I'll go and do it anyway. Quit reading commentaries when you've got a Bible. Quit reading commentaries when you've got a Bible. I'm not against commentaries. That's why somebody will be mad at me and tomorrow. I'll get an email. That's all right. Quit reading commentaries when you got a Bible. Trust the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to you through God's Word. That's why He says you don't need another teacher, you don't need another father, you don't need another rabbi. You've got one. He's He's the Word. Go to the Word. Um, if I get stuck, if I if I get stuck, I, I read a commentary. I don't use commentaries. I don't say that with some arrogance. I say that because I, I, I say that because of Matthew 23. I do, because go to the Word. He's the teacher. Jesus' teachings are the only way to life with God. With that sentence in your mind, read this verse afresh. Let's read verse 6 again. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So let me insert something. Except through my teaching, you will never find God. My teaching. Because some people read that and they don't think about the teaching. They just think about the cross. And I'm not making light of the cross. I'm not. But the teaching is part of the cross. It's part. The message is part of the cross. Listen to him. That's what God said on the mountain. Listen to him. Jesus and his sacrificial offering on the cross is the only way to God. Yes, of course, of course it is. But there is more. Jesus and his teachings are the only way to live our lives in this present world. Lives that are obedient to the Father and bring honor to the Father. Jesus taught in three ways. Listen carefully. He taught in parables, which are earthly stories. Uh, Some are going to understand, some are not. He taught in direct sermons, which one of the examples would be the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Not much of a parable, just kind of direct teaching. And then he he taught the third way is by example. Follow me. Okay? So I want you to think about that. Three methods. Parables, direct teaching, and follow me. So let's start with parables. Why parables? Right after Jesus tells the parable of the sower, they ask him. Why parables? Why parables? Let's go to Matthew 13. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? You know know what they're really saying? Why don't you just say it? (laughs) Why don't you just say it plainly? Why do you keep the parable thing going? You know what? If I'd have been there, I'd have asked the same question. I would have. Because even the disciples weren't getting the parables. They weren't getting them either. And he replied, this is the teacher. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. There's a mystery. Listen, there's a mystery. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And turn, and I would heal them. But, the, but blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. That's his answer to parables. And people who heard that answer say, I'm just as confused when you gave me the answer as I was before. Colossians 126. The Apostle Paul says, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. Are there mysteries inside of Jesus' teaching parables? Yes. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why does this guy hear the message and this guy hear the message and this guy has ears to hear? This guy does not. It's a mystery. I know this. The Bible, Jesus says twice in the same chapter, in the same chapter in the Gospel of John, no one can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. The Father's power is to draw. That's why a lot of times what I pray simply is this, Lord, give give us eyes to see. Because the awakening happens because you see. Give us ears to hear. The awakening happens because I hear. I hear the message. Give me a heart that will believe, receive, and obey. That's the transformation. For their hearts are calloused and hard, and they cannot, well, change my heart. Ephesians 1 And he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, and to put it into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Jesus reveals the mystery to those who have ears to hear. Hold on a minute, I need to get a drink. Let's go to Luke 8, 4. While the large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them, here comes the parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path. It was trampled on. The birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Stuck in the middle there is a profound statement. He, some of you are going to get it. Some of you are not. There's a mystery. His disciples asked him, what this parable meant what does that tell you some of them aren't getting it what it meant his disciples he said the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of god has been given to you but to others i speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see though hearing they may not understand this is the meaning of the parable so here's what he does Sometimes he does parables. Sometimes he does direct teaching. He's about to take a parable into direct teaching. Did he do that for everybody? No. You know who he did that for? His closest disciples. He took them into a direct teaching. So here we go. Here's the parable. Uh, No, this is not a parable. This is a direct teaching. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those Those along the path are the ones who hear And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no roots. That's why we have roots classes on Wednesday nights. They have no roots. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries choked by life's riches and choked by life's pleasures and they do not mature but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word retain it and persevering persevering produce a crop now let's break that down for a moment Lord, let us hear. Okay, let's break it down. The seed is the Word of God. This is it. If you're waiting for more, you're not going to get it. This is it. Go to the source. The path refers to the people that hear the Word, but the devil snatches the saving Word of God away, and they will be lost. He takes away the Word from their hearts, and thus they cannot be saved. The Word does not penetrate their heart. It is on the outside. It never comes to the inside. And they are lost. So the rock refers to the people who hear and receive the word with joy. Notice that. They're they're joyful. They like it. But they do not or cannot develop any roots. The time of testing comes and they fall away. And let's be clear. They are lost. The thorns refer to people who hear the word. But they're conflicted with the worries, riches, and pleasures of this world. And and they never mature and bear any fruit. They too are lost. Remember the vine and the branches? He gathers up the branches that do not bear fruit and what? He throws them into the fire. They're lost. They're lost. The good soil refers to people who have a noble and good heart. Where is all this seed supposed to get to produce a crop? Where's it got to get to? Your head? Your ear? Your nose? Where's it got to get to? Your heart. What keeps it out of your heart? Where your treasure is? There your heart will be also. Oh, my, my, my. The deceitfulness of wealth and pleasure You know, I don't have, you know, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one, hate the other. This is my greatest fear of the American church. This one. This is it. It refers to people who have, excuse me, they're conflicted by the worries, riches, pleasures. They never mature and they never bear fruit. And they are lost. They don't know it, but they are lost. They never bear fruit. Does fruit save you? No, no, I don't think that for one second. But you know what? That seed produces fruit. That seed is perfect. And when that seed comes into the heart of man, it produces fruit. Why? Don't doubt that because the seed's perfect. It's the fruit. It's not a hundred. That's the last one. The good soil refers to people who have noble and good heart. Notice something specific here about this good soil and this good teacher. They hear the word. They retain the word. They persevere under the authority of the word and the person of Christ. They mature. They mature. They grow. And as they grow, they produce more and more and more and more fruit. The Sermon on the Mount wasn't so mysterious a teaching, but it was very difficult to accept. I told you he did parables. Sometimes, so teaching, teaching, teaching. Jesus did parables. He taught that way, and some people didn't get it. Then sometimes he would take a parable and break it down and give it to you in plain tense, right? And hopefully you'll get it then. But what about the Sermon on the Mount? Straight up talking, straight up. Do you think that just because it's straight up, everybody accepted it? No, they didn't. And no, they won't. So let's give an example. Now, when he saw the crowds, Jesus, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach. Here it comes. It's not parables, not this time. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you want to be poor? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want the kingdom of heaven, but I don't want to be poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Do you want to mourn? I don't want to. I hate it. But they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Do you want to be meek? Nobody does. For they'll inherit the earth. Do you see where he's going? Why don't you just speak plainly? He says, okay, I'll do it and let's see what happens. You won't like that either, because it's not your nature. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. Do, do, next time somebody calls you a name or makes fun of you or belittles you, do you say, wow, thank you for the blessing? <laughs> no, you don't. Why? This is straight up teaching. Blessed are these when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and give its light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds. Praise your Father in heaven. That's straight up plain talk teaching. Is it, because it's straight up plain talk, does it make it any easier? No. Does it make it any less true? No. It's still the way to God. It's still the way to God. The parable of the sower and the sermon on the Mount both outline Jesus' way to fruitful, abundant life here and in eternity. They do not now, nor will they ever match the definition of a fruitful and abundant life as the world defines it. They are absolute, absolute opposites. The abundant life Jesus tells us about is the opposite of the abundant life the world sells. They are not the same. Jesus' third teaching style was this. This is where we will close tonight. Follow me. Follow my example. This one won't be easy or come natural any more than the parables or the straight up teaching. Jesus said in Luke 9 23, if anyone would come after me, you must deny himself, take up a cross, follow me. Jesus describes His way as the only way to the Father, and the only way to live a fruitful life of purpose as we await our time with the Father. This teaching of follow me is exclusive. And let me explain what I mean by exclusive. When I say exclusive, it is a singular way to God. There's no other way. If you don't choose this way, there is no way you're going to make it to the Father. And there's no better teaching to describe that point than this. Here's where we're close John 6 47. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whoever believes has everlasting life. Believes what? I'm the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert. Yes, they all died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which man may eat and not die. Are you ready? I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread that comes from heaven. Are you ready? He's looking at a bunch of Jewish religious folks. This bread is my flesh. And what do you think happens in the crowd in that moment? This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Do you think they got it? He's teaching them the way to God the Father. No, they're not going to get it. You think people today say, wow. No, they don't. You got to eat the flesh of the son of man. Yes, he must enter you. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood. You know, he think, you think he hadn't already made a man. Now he says, you got to drink my blood. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me... I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, now let's stop for a moment. You think everybody, everybody's like, we're in. Give us some of this bread. Give us some of this blood. No, it's It's hard. It's hard. Listen carefully. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? There you go. You know, I don't have any different message today than that one. I'm preaching the same material that Peter preached. And Paul, I got no new material. This is it. And the same thing I say today, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? But you've got to hear the rest of the story. Aware that his disciples were grumbling. What, what's the grumble? This is hard. Eat his flesh, drink his blood. There's no life without him. Who does he think he is? He's God. You see, they're not getting it. They're still not getting it. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken, the words I have spoken to you are spirit. And these words are life. You know what he's saying? You're going to die apart from these words. You will die apart from these words. These words don't penetrate your heart. You will die. The Spirit gives life. These words are life. Yet there are some who do not believe for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, that is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And next verse, I've mentioned it on multiple occasions. I want you to see it. This is John 6, 6, 6, I'm not trying to connect it to Revelation, but it is an interesting parallel. This is John 6, 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They walked into the darkness and hell is their future. Why? Why? Why are they turning? It's a hard teaching. Now, I, I'm not stopping there. Here's, you know, I'm definitely not stopping on that verse. <laughs> verse 67. He looks at his, I I believe he's looking directly at his 12. Okay? You do not want to leave too, do you? The crowd, you see the crowd walking away? They're all walking away from him. Are you going to leave too? Jesus asked the 12 and Simon Peter. You got to love Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, this, if I walk away from you, where am I going? There's no one else. No one else. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for calling us to yourself. That you have given us your flesh to eat, your blood to drink. That you would enter inside of us, and life would come into us. And when you come in, life comes in, and your life is eternal. Your light is eternal. There's no darkness. There's no death. Save us, Lord. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that would believe, receive, and obey you. And then send us out of here with the light, not under a bushel, but held high, so that others might see that you don't have to die. There is life. In Jesus' name, amen.